This episode is brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions. This stuff is my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin for climbing. I use the repair cream almost every night, all the time. I use it multiple times a night if I'm climbing in a sharp, crimpy area like Waco Tanks or Leavenworth or Smith Rock or so many others. If I come home from a day of climbing and my skin's torn up, I wash my hands and then I apply the repair cream several times throughout the evening. And it really does wonders to helping my skin heal faster and getting me back on the rock the next day. If you want to level up your skin game, head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com to check out their great line of products and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. That's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. And if you want to learn more about how to use Rhino products, I recommend an episode that I did with founder Justin Brown, who's a friend of mine, way back in episode 22. So you can go check that out to learn more. One final time, that's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off the best skincare products in the game. This episode is also brought to you by Grasshopper Climbing. One of the best things I have ever done for my own climbing was to build a climbing wall in my garage. It was so easy to stick to a consistent training schedule, and I always had really high-quality sessions on my own wall without any distractions. I could play whatever music I wanted, and I got super strong, the two winners that I climbed on that board. But it's a ton of work. First, you have to design the wall that you want to build. Then you have to build it, and then you have to decide which holds you want and order tons of holds and bolts. And then you have to set all of the boulder problems and routes, all the warm-ups, everything. Most of you listening don't have time to do all that. Luckily, the folks at Grasshopper designed the perfect solution. The Grasshopper board was designed to give you an entire climbing gym experience right in your home. And the best part, they did such a good job with the hold shaping and layout that the Grasshopper board will be right for you whether you are literally a beginner or you climb V15. It's so efficient, it's so good for training, and most importantly, it is so much fun to climb on. But don't take my word for it because the folks at Grasshopper just want you to try it out and see for yourself. If you wanna learn more, head over to grasshopperclimbing.com to check out their snazzy new website or check them out on Instagram at grasshopperclimbing. Check out their boards and reach out to their sales team to see which board solution is right for you. And be sure to tell them I sent you because the folks at Grasshopper are offering you guys, listeners to the Nugget Climbing Podcast, $500 off when you order a fully kitted out 8 by 10 foot Grasshopper board. $500 or even more if you upgrade to a larger board. So again, that's grasshopperclimbing.com to check out the Grasshopper board and be sure to tell them I sent you. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt, as always. And my guest today is Callie Joy Black. Joy, she goes by Joy, is a climber and a strength coach who has a very specific niche. She focuses on training women who are pregnant or postpartum. And I really enjoy talking to Joy. She's so much fun and so knowledgeable. And I really hoped that this episode would just be a wealth of information for any of you women listening to this who are pregnant or who are considering having kids someday. 
and want to keep climbing and want to make sure that you stay strong so that you can get back to climbing hard on the other side of pregnancy. And I think we did that. I think this was a super valuable conversation, but I was really surprised to find that I took a ton away from this conversation myself. And like it so often happens in life, so many of these things that we are all talking about, working through, struggling with are relatable. And I was actually able to relate a lot of what Joy talked about to myself in my own life, even though I'm not pregnant. (laughs) This is one of those episodes where I definitely recommend listening to the end. Or if you're not interested in hearing about training during pregnancy, even skipping to the end. I did that classic thing where I started to wind down the conversation at about the two hour mark. And then things got really interesting. And I really loved the last half hour of this conversation. And I just couldn't let Joy go until I'd asked her a couple final questions. And yeah, the last half hour, I think, was my favorite part of this conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy that. And that's it. Without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Callie Joy Black. Well, Joy, it's so good to see you again. Welcome to the show, and thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, yeah. And um, just, I I want to talk a little bit about what this conversation, what the purpose of this conversation is, and then I have a totally unrelated question for you to kick things off here, but you are a strength coach, certified strength coach who focuses on working with women who are pregnant or postpartum on their recovery Um, and training during pregnancy, things like that. And so this conversation I'm hoping will just exist rather than being like a play-by-play of exactly what to do if you become pregnant and want to maintain some of your rock climbing strength. This is going to be more just a lot of common questions that come up, uh, fears that people have, things that you've seen help people, just hopefully empowering women who uh, women athletes who are listening to this who are pregnant or considering having kids who are just nervous about it, who are afraid that they're going to, you know, lose a lot of the the abilities that they've worked so hard for with their climbing. Um, and you are, <laughs> I was thinking about how to start this conversation. You're a, a mother yourself. So I figured like there had to be some mm-hmm. stories there, you know, like, I mean, you, you have three mm-hmm. kids and I believe you have like a 15 year old and a toddler. So that's really interesting as well. <laughs> And um, I just, I, I just wondered, could we start things off with that text message that you got from your son? I just, like that just kind of made my morning, and I would love to hear more about that. There's got to be a story there. <laughs> yeah. So um, you, you know, asked me if there was anything funny, embarrassing, et cetera, that I could share, and I was trying to think of things and. I texted my husband and asked him and he gave me some pretty boring answers. And I was like, ah, it's not good. So I texted my son who he'll actually be 16 um, in two days. Uh, So anyway, but yeah, so I texted him and he texted me back. Why don't you tell him about the time that I shat my pants and your friend laid her head on my underwear. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) 
<laughs> that was the screenshot of the text message that, uh, yeah, I got sent to you this morning. So this is what happened. We are at the New River Gorge climbing. My son was, uh, I think he's about five years old at the time. And we were at Bubba City, which is an area at the New. And he kept telling me he had to go to the bathroom, but I was climbing. And when you're halfway up a route, you can't, it, it was like, you know, I just was like, well, can you hold it? He's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, just hold it. He's like, I think I really need to go. Make a long story short, he shits his pants. Okay. <laughs> how, how, when was this? How old was he at the time? <laughs> he was about five. Okay. Um, and okay. disclaimer, I feel like because he sent me this suggestion that I'm allowed to talk about this. I would assume Otherwise, so. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was five. Ever, yeah, it's, it's five. Yeah. 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 He uh, honestly probably won't listen to this because I am like, in his words, cringy. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So he shits his pants and I get down off the route and I immediately am like, oh my God, you shit your pants. I have no extra clothes for him because at this point he's five. This is not a common occurrence. Like, I don't know if it was because we were outside, although he's pooped in the woods many, many times. I'm not sure like what inspired him to do that, but he did. So I decided that the best thing that I can do is first of all, get it off of him, which I do. But then I take his underwear with all of <laughs> everything that was contained in it. And I put it in a plastic grocery bag and I tie it off. And then I put it in the side of my pack. And I was like, I'll just like throw this away when we get out of here, you know, get to the car, whatever. And I think I just put his shorts back on him. I was like, all right, we'll just like keep going now. Everything is fine. So we go about our day and then we get back to the car. And one of my friends was riding in the back with Aiden, who is uh, my older son. And we just throw the packs in the car <laughs> and we start riding home. And after a while, my friend is like, I'm sorry to tell you this, Joy, <laughs> but I'm trying to take a nap. My friend is also from Turkey, so I'm not going to try and do her accent, <laughs> but like her English is a little bit broken and you know, things just come across a little bit funny. She was like, I am trying to take a sleep and <laughs> something is smelling very not good. And... <laughs> <laughs> I had forgot to throw out the bag and oh, she was leaning man. on the side of my pack <laughs> <laughs> trying to sleep <laughs> anyway I just like immediately pulled over at the next <laughs> I'm trying to have a sleep <laughs> and something is smelling not good yeah yeah wow yeah, anyway, but um, I was mortified. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyhow, I promise I don't always do that to my climbing partners. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's that's a great story. Thank you. You, de you delivered. Yeah. Your son delivered on that one. Um, and thanks to him for being willing to share that. <laughs> Oh, my yeah, gosh. That one, like, yeah, that's a pretty classic one in our family. 
So let's let's back up some steps or maybe jump forward some steps. I don't know where that puts us in the timeline here, but um, I just have a note here that I, I, I was curious to hear how you got into this because you have such a specific niche carved out for yourself with um, with your business, with what you do. And am I right in thinking that this is your job? This is like your full-time business is, is working with women is. around pregnancy and postpartum? I have no other job. Okay. This is my job. Great. So you, but you studied Spanish in college. Is that right? See. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. And I do nothing with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's start there. Why, why did you choose Spanish in college? When I was in high school and was taking Spanish because you have to take a foreign language, I really enjoyed it. And I was pretty good at it. It just came naturally to me. And I thought the culture was fascinating. The language was just beautiful. And then I went to college and decided, well, I'll just keep studying this. I had no plan, no plan. Yeah. Um, I just really liked it. And fast forward two years in college, I found out I was pregnant with my son who we just heard the funny story about. And I finished out my sophomore year, but when I came back to school after having him, I came to the realization that I needed to have a plan. Um, so I figured out that Spanish wasn't really a good life plan for me. Um, but I went ahead and finished out that degree because it was easier to finish it than to start something else totally new. Uh, I went on to work in the nutrition department at the university that is close to where I live. It's called University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Go Hills. If anybody's a basketball fan, they'll know what I'm talking about. Um, I worked in the nutrition department as a research assistant and I did interviews in Spanish for diet and physical activity studies. Hmm. So yeah, that's how I was able to use my Spanish. I took a few nutrition classes towards uh, the end of my, um, towards the end of college. And that's how I kind of fell into the job. Anyway, I stayed at that job for 10 years. It was the desk job. I, by the end was the project manager of the diet and physical activity research core is what it was called. I, handled grant budgets and study protocols, et cetera, was never really super fulfilled with that job, but I was a single mom for 10 years. So it allowed me the flexibility that I needed at that time to be able to do the things that I needed to for my son to, you know, be present for different things for him at school or pick him up when he was sick. If I needed to, I was able to work from home before working from home was ever a thing. Mm. Um, so I continued during that time. Let's see. It's kind of like a, like a really muddled story. So I was working at UNC, but I've always been just obsessed, I guess, for lack of better words with movement. Like I can literally remember being six years old and going to step aerobics classes with my stepmom for fun on Saturday morning because like that was what I wanted to do. And we went to jazzercise and did the whole <laughs> deal. Like I loved it. Um, and for my senior project in high school, I became a group fitness instructor, like certified by AFA. 
and taught a senior citizens <laughs> like oh, wow. boot camp sort of deal. Yeah. So I've just always loved movement and talking about it, doing it, et cetera, et cetera. So even while I was at UNC, I started teaching a strength training class for women at a local bouldering gym. And when did you start climbing? Let's see. I've been climbing for 12 years now, so I really suck at math. If you'd like to do the math on what year that is. <laughs> Around 2010. Gonna, were, were you in college okay, or yeah. was it after? Or? Um, well, I was in college, yes, but I this was after coming back. So my, son, okay. my oldest son was born in 2006. I took a break for two years from college, um, and then I went back, and I had never heard of climbing before. Like, I... I mean, I don't know. I guess I thought it was a thing that kind of crazy people did. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually was on the bus on the way to school and this dude on the bus starts hitting on me. He was a piece of shit. Make a long story short. He introduced me to climbing. Thank God he's long gone, but climbing (laughs) stuck around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So at least you, at least you did one good thing in your you had one good thing to share yeah. in your life yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah so anyway that like i'm trying to tie all the pieces together here for you because it's not super linear so i'm working at unc um i am climbing i love it i'm teaching this strength training class at the bouldering gym and around this time as well well, towards, towards the end of this time, I should say, I met my husband and um, we got married and I was super unhappy with my desk job. I, I just couldn't stand it. And I knew I couldn't retire from that. I'm like, I can't do this for the next, this cannot be what my life consists of. And you spend so much time at work that I was just like, I have to find something that just doesn't make me this miserable for this long. <laughs> um, and I was able to then make the switch from being at UNC to being a trainer full time. But um, I was really privileged where I had my husband and, you know, the financial security to be able to do so, which I would have never been able to do that on my own, especially, you know, having to support my son. That just was mm. like not an option. Um, so anyway, I finally had the ability to do that and um yeah i just said good riddance yeah and left you took the leap <laughs> i did congratulations yeah. I had like my vested retirement and everything just like yeah done nice yeah that's that's awesome <laughs> yeah. um but you found yourself in a very specific niche why did you choose to focus on pregnancy and postpartum recovery and was it always with rock climbers specifically, or has it become more increasingly with rock climbers just as your audience has grown? Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess, um, like, what need were you feeling? Um, what need were you feeling personally through your own pregnancies, or just from talking to other women? Like, what was it that um, that made this feel important to focus on? So, when I first started training full time, I was working in a boutique type gym, not a commercial Gold's Fitness. It was more um, just kind of like boutique personal type training. And I had women come in that were either 
pregnant or early postpartum or maybe have even a little bit later postpartum were asking me certain questions about certain things and I didn't know what to do. Um, my mentors at the gym were all male. I was the only female trainer there. Um, and when I asked them about, well, what have you done? They told me, oh, I just Googled some stuff or, uh, you can just like have them go on the elliptical, just like whatever they feel like. Or I was told, you know, I remember one time asking one of them about, did you ever take their pelvic floor into consideration? And he was like, I ain't got time for all that shit. Can't be dealing with all that. <laughs> wow. And I was like, there has to be a better way. This is just not right. Like, <laughs> this is crazy here um, because these women are coming to me seeking professional advice and they're trusting me with their body, which you only get one of. This is a huge deal. And I can't help them. Literally, I couldn't help them. Um, so that's where it started. I just started taking courses and it turned into a, a path that I had no idea that it would turn into what it has, but I'm really, really thankful for it. Um, I just took a huge dive off the deep end and I feel like I'm still just like diving, diving, diving into all of this information and I love it. Um, and how it came to be more niche down to climbing is that there is none of this out there for climbers like this information that says hey actually you can keep climbing while you're pregnant or you know let's talk about what you need to consider when you're trying to make the decision if you want to climb while you're pregnant or let's talk about your pelvic floor and climbing let's talk about breath mechanics and climbing all of these things that make a huge difference for the longevity of your climbing and your experience of climbing while you're either pregnant or postpartum um i just being a climber myself and especially through my last two pregnancies. Um, so I have a daughter who is two now and my son is four. My youngest son is four months old. During those two pregnancies, I continued to climb. But again, there just was next to no resources. You can read stories about women who climb during their pregnancy. Um, I know like you had Carrie Cooper on a few weeks ago and she climbed um, during her pregnancies and you can She's got like a YouTube that's really cool. She's like climbing out and maybe it's Moab. I'm not sure. She's like 38 weeks pregnant. It's really awesome. But as far as guidance around climbing, there's just not a lot of it. Um, so I just decided that let's just do it because I have the knowledge of both. So why would I not try and combine them? And it's been it's been really fun. It's been kind of hard because a lot of times I feel like I'm out in a rowboat by myself just like <laughs> okay here we go let's do this um trying to piece things together and a lot of times i'm like i'm not quite sure if this is if this is right does this make sense um trying to marry the two genres i guess if you will but i think i'm i think i'm on to something and it's resonating with a lot of people which i'm just really thankful and grateful for that people are hearing this message and receptive to the information 
Yeah, it certainly seems like you are having a big impact. And I actually learned about you through Mina, Leslie Vuyastic. Um, I think it was in one of our reflections episodes that we did. She and I have been, she and I and Hazel have been doing a collaboration um, for Patreon. And I think it was one in one of those episodes that she talked about working with you and how big of a difference it made for her. So you're you're doing it. You're helping a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Mina, Mina's so sweet. That was, yeah, it was fun to connect with her and do that. Let's dive in. So I've got a bunch of questions and bullet points in front of me, and I want to start with some of the kind of broadest questions that come to mind for me um, that I'm sure you get a lot, that I'm sure a lot of women have, you know, who are considering pregnancy, whatever. But I want to start with this question, actually, because probably 70-ish percent of my audience is male. I have a lot of guys that listen to this show. Um, So for the men that are still listening at this point, I, I wonder, like, I, it's it's very, I, I think it's very fun and very um, valuable to cover lots of different topics. You know, I don't think every episode has to be for everybody. I, I really want to lean into that versus try to make every episode for everybody because that just doesn't make sense. So it's okay if this one just isn't for the guys. But I wonder if you have thoughts on, for the guys that are still listening to this, like, what might men take away from our conversation? Are there... I don't know. Is that something you've thought about at all? Do you, do you think yeah. it would still be yeah. important or relevant for guys who obviously aren't going to be pregnant themselves but might want to support a partner in their pregnancy someday? Or just, you know, is it just perspective thing, like just helping us appreciate how badass women are who have done this and gone through this? Because that's how all of us got here, you know, and we don't really spend much time thinking about that. So, Yeah. So, I mean, I think two things. Number one, if you have a pelvis, then you have a pelvic floor. Okay. So it can be really beneficial for guys to learn about these concepts as well, because your pelvic floor does the same work. Now your pelvic floor is not going to go through the things that a female's pelvic floor will, because you don't bear children, but just understanding the concepts behind pelvic floor, breath mechanics, et cetera, can really make a huge difference, especially when you're talking about different aspects of strength training and making them applicable to climbing. Um, guys are really good most of the time at muscling through things but when you want to talk about movement variability and more subtleties within the pelvic floor can really be key to unlocking a lot of your a lot of what you may be missing in your movement capabilities so your ability to fully go down into a squat versus versus hinging every squat you ever do. So that's talking about the difference basically between a deadlift and a squat and the pelvic floor can be the secret to that. So if you're thinking about like really high steps on a climb or trying to get more uh, mobile pips and whatnot, your pelvic floor uh, could be part of the answer to that. So that is, yes, something that I think, even though it might feel kind of weird to men to be like, oh, my pelvic that seems very odd um you have one and it's it's okay to like pay attention to it or learn some things about it and then also i think that understanding some of what your partner if you and your partner are considering pregnancy is getting ready to go through so not only physically i feel like you know a lot of 
men, I, th- I think the narrative is changing a little bit where they understand a little more around the physical aspects of pregnancy and exactly what's getting ready to happen to a partner. That's not really a big secret, but a little more of the mental aspect of it, I think would be really great for guys to hear just so they can understand that, hey, yeah, there are a lot of physical changes going on, but also your partner is getting ready to go through a lot of uh, mental and even, you know, identity changes Mm. as well. Um, And it just may help them to relate to their partner a little more and um, understand them better through the whole process and support them. Well, that's perfect. Thank you for that. That's a really good answer. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good answer. I'm sure that I'll keep some guys around and uh, we'll come back to the pelvic floor and the breath mechanics in more detail later. But yeah, I want to ask you some general questions. What are some of the things that you wish every woman could know when it comes to this, is we're talking specifically about female climbers here who are considering having kids and being pregnant who just feel fearful. You know, there's, we're always afraid of the unknown, um, mm-hmm. but there's just a lot at stake, you know, like it's a big sacrifice or I'm sure it can feel like a big sacrifice to trade so much of what your body can do for these nine months to grow a human and then like are you going to get that back you know i'm sure that feels like this big scary question mark so what are some of the things that um that you wish everyone knew or or that um i'm i'm going to leave it really broad i can ask more specific questions i guess but does anything come from come to mind for you when i ask that yeah um i think number 1 is that it's okay to be scared i was terrified <laughs> I mean, I think just acknowledging that, like, this is scary. It's okay to be scared. That doesn't have to mean that you don't want to have a baby. I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. You can be scared and still want to pursue this, you know, being pregnant, starting a family. Um, And knowing also that it will be different, but that doesn't mean worse. Mm. So we all know that change is never easy. And sometimes it can feel really hard when change is happening. But on the other side, generally, (laughs) change comes for the better. So Yes, your life will be different. Your training will be different, but it will be beautiful in a way that you have yet not experienced. Mm. Not that your life isn't beautiful now. It's just a different type of beautiful. Um, So I think just knowing those two things that it's okay to be scared. Being scared doesn't mean that you can't do it or that you're not ready. I don't know that there is ever a perfect time to (laughs) have a kid or be pregnant. You can always find a reason not to. You don't have enough time, don't have enough money. You still want to climb this route. You still want to run this fast, X, Y, and Z. Like, it's just never going to be perfect. So at some point in time, you either have to say, you know what, let's just, let's go all in. Here we go. Let's do this or, or not. So I think, yeah, those things and 
there's all sorts of things I could say about training as far as you can get stronger and you don't have to lose X, Y, and Z. But I feel like just being like from a very real uh, perspective versus more of a trainer perspective, those were the things that I, I wish like maybe somebody would have told me like, mm. Hey, I get it. It's scary. <laughs> it's really scary. You work for a long time to climb up to this level, um, whatever that level may be. This is a huge part of your life. It's a huge part of your identity. And it would be a little odd if you weren't scared about something that's getting ready to possibly change all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I imagine you have women reaching out to you with questions before they've become pregnant or as soon as they've become pregnant. What are some of the common things that you hear, common concerns? What are a lot of women nervous about when they reach out to you with questions? I would say one of the biggest things is around the fall risk with climbing. So uh, can I lead climb or when should I stop lead climbing or can I boulder? Uh, so those topics just concerning fall risk, basically. Um, do you want me to answer the question? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's dive into it. <laughs> okay. Great. Okay. Um, so when we talk about, can I lead climb? So when someone asks me, can I lead climb? That is not up to me. There is no, no value of my opinion here. And can someone lead climb? It is a decision for each climber to make on their own during their pregnancy. But what I do is help them navigate a decision. So we talk about, okay, what does, what type of falls are we talking about? What is happening with your body at certain times during your pregnancy and how that might come into play during any, any falls that we may take. So it's well known, well accepted that you shouldn't quote unquote fall during pregnancy. There's no debating that that is established. When we say we, as in the <laughs> powers be research powers, um, say fall, a lot of this research has been done on motor vehicle crashes and sadly domestic violence, um, but very forceful falls. So you can think about um, like head on collisions or falling down flights of stairs, things of that nature. Sports that are considered fall risk. Um, climbing is definitely one. There's also uh, skydiving, horseback riding, uh, mountain biking, other things like that. So when, when we talk about falling, it's falling that is generally uncontrolled, forceful in nature, and has an unpredictable outcome. Now, when you have been climbing for a number of years, you have the ability to mitigate certain aspects of falls. Can unplanned things happen? Yes, they can. I am fully acknowledging that. And that is something that you have to accept as a climber if you're going to continue to climb during a pregnancy, that yes, unforeseen things can happen. I can also get in my car to go buy a dozen eggs <laughs> and something unforeseen can happen to me then as well. So that is just, that's my perspective on it, that 
no matter what we're doing in life, if we're not living in a bubble, that something unforeseen can always happen. But as an experienced climber, there are steps that you can take to mitigate certain aspects of falls. So for talking about lead climbing, you know, what kind of terrain are you on? Are we talking about huge whippers on <laughs> vertical or are we talking about small falls from below the bolt on gently overhanging terrain? Those are two very different types of falls. Uh, do you have a belayer that is giving you a soft catch or not? That makes a huge difference. Uh, if you're bouldering, are we talking about where you're just kind of jumping down onto the pads or are we spiraling out of the air, you know, from 20 feet up again, two very, very different scenarios. So I think that when people ask, can I lead climb or can I boulder? Well, First of all, that's up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to you to make your own decision. But most climbers <laughs> that I talk to, um, they don't really want to take a spiraling 20 foot fall <laughs> off a boulder, even if they weren't pregnant right. <laughs> or they don't want to get a hard catch, you know, way run out on vertical terrain, period, pregnant or not. Um, so I think it's just having those discussions, knowing that until about 12 weeks in your pregnancy, your uterus is sitting down inside of your pelvis. At 12 weeks is when it, the top of your uterus called the fundus, it starts to come up above the pubic symphysis. So that's where your pubic bones come together in the front of your pelvis. It, come, it starts to come up above that pubic symphysis, but it's still sitting down inside the pelvis. So it still is well protected. Um, at about 20 weeks is when the top of the uterus reaches the point of your belly button. And that's most of the time by then women have started wearing um, climb or pregnancy harnesses just because it feels a little better across the front of their abdomen. Um, but it's just taking a very realistic approach to making that decision of deciding whether or not to climb, what discipline of climbing, what feels safe to them, Another thing I always talk with women about is how do you feel when you leave? So when you leave the crag, are you super anxious about that fall that you took? Are you mm. replaying it in your mind? Oh God, did I do something wrong? I don't know. Like, do I feel this? Just very out of sorts about your experience that day. Or are you super happy to have spent the day outside with your friends climbing, or you climbed a new route in the gym, it felt amazing, you tried hard, you're gonna go home, have dinner, take a nap. If you are getting a lot of anxiety about what happened during your session, then it is generally my recommendation to dial it back a bit, whether that is changing the modality from lead climbing to top roping, or you know, um, just, instead of climbing up the boulders, you know, traversing or something of that nature and see how does that feel when you leave? Because mental health is very, very important during pregnancy. Yes, physical health is important. Strength is important, of course, but we want mentally to feel good after we're done with our session, done with our day outside. Um, so I think that's a large part of it too. And different people handle these things differently. So it's not a one size fits all approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this. I mean, it's so pragmatic and practical and it's um it's interesting to hear about the research on falling. It it makes sense, I guess. I just never had thought about that, you know, that of course it's not 
research that's specific to rock climbing, and it's it's these really extreme, really violent fall cases um, that have been researched, not just a gentle sag onto a rope if you're slightly above your bolt or whatever. So, I mean, and I just kind of equate it to if someone is doing box jumps, right? It, so think of like CrossFit type stuff, but and they jump down off a box. That's kind of like it is jumping, like coming down from a boulder softly or getting a soft catch. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone would ever, I mean, they might be like, oh, you look odd doing that very pregnant. <laughs> or, you know, we could talk about the impact on the public floor, et cetera. But that's generally accepted as okay. Right. Yeah. So, um, I think that a lot of times it's the education aspect also uh, that people don't understand exactly what we're doing when we're climbing um, and how we can mitigate risk and impact, et cetera. Right, right. I mean, like even for me, anytime I go to the doctor, I have to, you know, I have to be really thoughtful about what I say about rock climbing because no one gets it, you know. I don't know what they think we're doing, but it's not accurate, <laughs> you know. They think we're like oh yeah, climbing big <laughs> snowy mountains and then all of a sudden we're in the opening scenes of Vertical Limit and bolts are exploding and <laughs> whatever, you know. Yeah, it's my favorite too is, you know, I tell somebody like climbing they're like, "Oh, so like are you going to climb Everest? I'm like, oh, hell no. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> no interest in that, actually. <laughs> I mean, more power to everybody that does. I think it's it's incredible, you know. Right. But like Alpine, oh, gosh, no. I hate being cold. Oh, like worst nightmare ever. <laughs> Do you primarily sport climb, Joy? Yeah, sport climbing and bouldering. I've, known, I've been known to like plug some gear, but oof. I'm not like good at puzzles. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> please don't make me. Got to put this cam and this. <laughs> and we, we, we talked about where you went to school, but we haven't talked about this yet or where you, uh, where you worked at the school, but um, where, where do you live now and where do you usually climb? So I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, if you can't tell from my <laughs> accent, I'm in the Southern United States uh, I really like to climb the New River Gorge is about four hours from me. Obed in Tennessee is a little bit further. Red River Gorge. Um, more locally, there's a place called Hanging Rock State Park. There's Moore's Wall, which is uh, primarily bouldering, but some really cool, hard, old school trad um, at Moore's Wall. Um everything's sandbagged there, <laughs> everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's some really good stuff in Boone, North Carolina, as far as boulders go, um, some high country ship rock, um, or kind of like some sport and trad there, but yeah, I think that kind of does it as far as Southeast locations. Okay. Well, as a way of adding more context for people, I think it'd be interesting to hear about your different pregnancies, um, because you, totally changed your career and you've learned so much from your first one to your second to your third. And uh, I know you can't just give like broad recommendations to people because every single person is so different, but I would love to just hear about that. Like, is there anything that you wish you had known or done differently during your first pregnancy? And, and what did that look like? And then I think climbing came in after that. So as far as climbing during pregnancy and taking falls and things for yourself, like what did that start to look like? in your second and third pregnancies and how were those different throwing a lot at you, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, 
All right. So my first pregnancy with my oldest son, I had him when I was 21. I was really young. So when you ask me what, what I wish I would have known before him, everything, I literally was a baby when I had him. So I don't know that. I mean, there's just so much in, in life, et cetera, that, <laughs> yeah, I, my son, Aiden and I, I kind of like to say have grown up together because mm. becoming a mom at 21, I, I didn't know anything. I, I mean, I knew nothing. Uh, and he's 16 now I'm 37 and we have a, <laughs> really special <laughs> sometimes kind of <laughs> i don't know i mean we just have a very special relationship i think it's um very different than the relationship that i will have with my youngest daughter and son but different doesn't mean bad it's just different um but so let's fast forward to maybe uh my daughter and youngest son so i climbed during uh my pregnancy with my daughter. Um, I can give you a couple of different perspectives on both of those. So before I got pregnant with my daughter, I had two consecutive losses before her, and they were both fairly early losses, but I was pregnant three times within a year. And it was just, it was really tough. Just physically, emotionally, and I continued to climb. Um, each time I found out I was pregnant, I continued to climb. But when I did get pregnant with my daughter, so I was pregnant for the third time in a year, and I was at the bouldering gym, and I think it was around nine or 10 weeks pregnant. So it was still pretty early. And I fell. It wasn't a crazy fall. It was just, you know, I, I fell on a crux move higher up the wall. Um, I landed on my feet. It was nothing insane. Uh, but when I left the gym that day, I had so much anxiety that I just said, you know what? I I'm not doing this anymore. This isn't worth it because I am too scared that even logically I knew Nothing about me coming off that wall was going to change this pregnancy. Logically, I knew that, but illogically, I wasn't handling it well. Mm -hmm. And I just had to respect that and honor it. So I switched over to top roping. I continued to climb until right about the beginning of my third trimester. And then the whole world went into lockdown because of COVID. And we mm. all know how that goes. So um, then fast forward to my pregnancy with my son, who is now four months old. And um, I, during the second half of my pregnancy with my daughter, I started taking anti-anxiety medi medication because I was just, the, the pregnancy was very hard for me mentally, very, very hard. After having gone through losses, I just had a very hard time coping. Um, and I was just terrified something was going to happen to this pregnancy. I tell people all the time, like the time I felt the best during my pregnancy with my daughter was literally in the delivery room where they had the continuous, continuous fetal monitoring. And you, I could hear a heartbeat the whole time. Mm. Just like literally, I don't know, kind of makes me like emotional to think about it. But anyway, I had 
a, I was in a lot better space mentally with my son when my youngest son, when I got pregnant with him and I continued to boulder until, oh, uh, I mean, you know, boulder more like kind of try hard level till about 20, 24 weeks or so. And I felt really great. I felt awesome doing it. Um, I even went in and <laughs> just, just so I could prove to myself that I could, I went and climbed. It was like a, a V one on the kilter board at 38 weeks <laughs> before. And it's a four, it, the degree doesn't change at the gym that I use It's a 45 degree board. So wow. I was like, I'm going to go do it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, took some pictures of myself doing it just to, so when I'm old, I'm like, you see, I did that. <laughs> 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 so it was a really different experience with my son. I bouldered way, way um, farther into the pregnancy and um, climbed um, top rope. I didn't really lead climb that much during with my pregnancy with him, but um, top roped until yeah, I was, I mean, climbing, I think, you know, five ten, literally the day before he was born. Wow. I think. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was really different, um, as far as that perspective. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that like kind of fully answers. No, this is your question. This is super helpful. I'm sure it's super helpful just to hear, I mean, even about the anxiety and the, and the fear and, um, just the real stuff, you know, I think so many people listening to this can relate to it and it's just a real gift to, to have you open up and share that. So thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hopefully someone. I do get messages from women a lot who have gone through losses of I'm scared to climb. I, you know, I don't know what to do, but climbing is really this thing that brings them a lot of joy and they derive a lot of happiness from it. And I get it. I, I totally understand, but I feel like you just have to find sort of that that space and whatever that means or looks like for you that makes you feel okay. And sometimes that means not climbing and that's okay too. Just because you don't climb during your pregnancy doesn't mean you're not a climber anymore. You can choose not to climb. You're still a climber. Mm. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. So either way, just it's whatever makes you, whatever makes you happy, whatever feels like the best decision for you and your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I have some bullet points in front of me. I, we had a, we had decided on three most common questions from women um, that you get. Oh, okay. The first one uh -huh. is, is it okay to lead climb during pregnancy? And we've talked about that. So let's jump to the next one. Um, and I, I'd love to get more context around this question, like what women are asking this. When can I start climbing again after pregnancy? Um, so that's a great question. Is it different for women who've chosen not to climb throughout their pregnancy i guess what are what are women asking specifically when they ask you that well so let me let's divide it up into two let's let's do you have climbed during your pregnancy and you and you did not climb during your pregnancy just so i can like help to make my thoughts a little more concise and clear so if you climbed during your pregnancy let's just say you climbed a couple of times a week, um, you know, because I think we're really kind of talking and speaking to more recreational climbers, not um, professional 
climbers. Um, if you climbed a couple of times a week during your pregnancy, let's say you climbed almost up until the end, felt pretty good. Now you've had your baby. So when can you start going climbing again? You know, <laughs> million dollar question. If you ask your provider, they're probably going to say you need to wait six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. It kind of depends on the provider. So this is my take. Number one, it depends. Okay. It depends on how your pregnancy went. It depends on how your birth went. You could have the most uncomplicated, easy breezy pregnancy in the world and then end up having a complicated birth. And by complicated, I mean an operative delivery. So um, one that involved forceps or you had some significant tearing or a C-section, which does require a little bit longer recovery time because it is a major operation. So it depends. Let's say that you had uncomplicated pregnancy, for the most part, uncomplicated delivery. I think that you can go climbing again when you honestly feel like you have the bandwidth for it. That may be more than six weeks, that may be way less than six weeks. You often hear that at six weeks, you kind of get this green light to go do whatever it was that you're doing before, which to me is just so silly um, to tell someone who is very active and most of the time very strong that they need to just sit on their ass for six weeks. And then after six weeks, they can magically just go back and hop on whatever it was they were doing before and, mm. and everything's going to be fine. That's, I mean, we wouldn't do that. If, if you hurt your shoulder, we wouldn't approach your recovery to climbing in that way. Right. Right. And even though pregnancy is not an injury, we can still use this same train of thought around recovery therein. And a lot of times for experienced climbers going to climb something very easy, you can take a walk around your block that would feel more strenuous than that, hmm. honestly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, so we know how to taper our efforts very well. And if a climber who, you know, let's just say it's like a five, five, 12 climbers going into the gym and climbing five, six, five, seven, that's not going to feel like anything to them. Right. That's just going to feel really good, very flowy and able to move their body. Um, so when can they start climbing? It's a very, I mean, it's a very tricky question, but given uncomplicated pregnancy, uncomplicated delivery somewhere between two and four weeks, but just knowing that the intensity needs to be very, very low. So it should feel no harder than going just like literally like walking to your mailbox to pick up the mail, something of that nature, like just easy stroll. Um, because that is the equivalent for, for climbers. A lot of times, like doing those easier routes that just feel very good. That is like going around the, the block for a walk mm -hmm. or something of that nature. Um, and as the deliveries get a little more complicated or perhaps the pregnancy was a little more complicated, you weren't able to climb during the pregnancy, then we do need to look at a little bit longer recovery times, but it still doesn't have to be this exact time. Um, I think we just need to take it on a case by case basis, um, and just 
have honest conversations with the athlete about how their body feels because they're the experts on their body. It's, mm. it's the doctor is not the expert. A trainer is not the expert on your body. You are the expert on your body. So just really owning that can be very powerful too. Yeah, that's, that's really great. I think that's really helpful. And again, you know, our practitioners, unless you're very lucky and have a practitioner who has some experience or knowledge of rock climbing, like it, it just, it, it's really hard to get that idea across that a 5.7, for a 5.12 climber, a 5.7 is literally easier than walking around the block. Like it's really hard to express that to a medical provider who just doesn't have experience with rock climbing because it seems they, they just have that, have rock climbing in this category in their mind as this extreme thrill-seeking thing, right? So I think that is a case where we can trust our own judgment more than that of our doctor, or at least take their advice with a grain of salt and, and use our judgment um, and, and feel empowered to to do some easy climbing. So yeah, I appreciate yeah, your thoughts I on mean, that. And, yeah. So, and then if you want to take on this burden, you can always try and educate your doctor and, mm. and help them understand. And I am a big proponent of talking, especially during pregnancy, we want to be honest with the provider that I, I cannot tell you how many women I talk to that say like, they just lie to their provider and say they're not climbing or they just kind of, you know, admit it and don't tell them because they just know their provider will say don't, mm. or they just don't want to deal with it. Um, but you know, honestly, the more that we can open up these conversations and help providers understand exactly what it is that we're doing and how we're able to make judgments around certain movements and situations, I think that um, it just becomes a more, a topic that's easier to approach, like mm -hmm. across the board. Um, but I mean, I know when I was pregnant with my daughter, I first, one of the first things the provider told me was, well, you're gonna have to stop climbing. <laughs> mm. Full stop. I mean, right. Yeah. Just full stop. Even though at that point I had been climbing for 10 years mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she's never climbed a day in her life, you know, no disrespect. It's right. her job to keep me safe, to help me have a safe pregnancy, but she's never climbed a day in her life. I've been climbing for a decade. It just doesn't make sense. Right. So what did you do? Did you have a conversation around that or did you just decide to do what felt right, what what felt good to you and just continue climbing? I think I did just kind of say, well, I'm not falling like you think I'm falling. And she just said, well, any falling is not okay. And I was like, well, it's, it's not falling. <laughs> um, and I, I just think it just kind of like fizzled into awkwardness. <laughs> <laughs> like a staring contest. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I don't have a better story no, for you than that of like, you know, coming out of like, I taught her all this stuff. Totally. No, most, I mean, most people listening to this don't want to deal with that. Like I don't, you know, if I go to the doctor and I tweaked my shoulder, like, I'm just going to trust my own judgment and maybe call up Natasha Barnes and see what she would recommend for me. You know, I'm not going to like try to convince <laughs> yeah. my doctor that I should be strength training to rehab my shoulder. It just doesn't feel worth it. Yeah. Um, let's jump to the next. This was the third most common question that you get from women. 
And this question is, what can I do outside of climbing to support my climbing during pregnancy? So I, th- I think the context of that, if I remember correctly, was if a woman has decided not to climb during pregnancy, what else can they do? But maybe this is another one where we can break it up. So um, if you're not climbing, what can you do to support your pregnancy? And if you are climbing, are there additional strengthening movements or exercises that you recommend for women uh, to support their pregnancy? So I think that it's honestly going to be about the same between the two, except for if you're not climbing, I would add in perhaps some some more finger strength stuff. You can still do that if you are climbing, but if you're not climbing, then that would be something you would definitely want to add if that's of interest to you. Um, but regardless of climbing or not climbing, strength training is going to be one of the best things you can do. Um, I know that I've had some climbers tell me, well, I stopped climbing, but I'm going to try and run during pregnancy. I don't think that's, that would not be my (laughs) go-to if, um, if someone were training with me and, and they decided that climbing wasn't what felt best for them during pregnancy, um, I would not suggest taking up running. When you continue to strength train during pregnancy, what you are doing is you are stacking all of the cards in your favor um, to be able to return to climbing, to have a more comfortable pregnancy, to, again, just hopefully make things feel a little better, go a little quicker postpartum. We can never guarantee anything by doing X, Y, or Z movement or training plan because we're not in control during pregnancy. Um, That's one thing that's really hard, but it is just the reality of it that we are not in control of the outcome of what happens. Um, But continuing to strength train is one of the best things that you can do. So as far as we all know the benefits of being strong as a climber, I don't think that we need to kind of like dive down that. But when we are talking about the benefits of strength training for your pelvic floor, so your pelvic floor is a very hard worker. Okay. Your pelvic floor is a group of muscles that sits down inside your pelvis. Every single time you breathe, your pelvic floor moves. It goes through a cycle of contract and relax. You breathe 20,000 plus times a day. Okay. So think about if you did 20,000 bicep curls a day. Okay. (laughs) A lot of bicep curls. (laughs) So I'm using this analogy to illustrate how strong your pelvic floor is. Okay. How hard that thing works. When you're asleep, pelvic floor still going. That thing's still working, even though your bicep totally at rest. Everything else just chilling out. But that pelvic floor and your respiratory diaphragm, they are still going. Okay. Your pelvic floor is such a hard worker that when other parts of your body are slack, like your glutes, let's say, they will kick in and do even more work for your glutes. Okay. Your pelvic floor is the one that's like, put me in coach. I got it. You know, I'll, I'll do the part for this team player. I'll do the part for that team player. It will try to do everything it can to keep you going. 
because it's its job. It's it's literally holding up the contents of your abdomen and it's also helping you to produce and sustain force throughout very various different movements, which I think a lot of people don't actually realize that it does play parts in your ability to uh, produce force. So when we continue to strength train and we strength train our hamstrings, we train our glutes up, um, our literally your entire body. Your pelvic floor only has to do its job. It does not have to also do the job of your glutes. It does also not have to do the job of your hamstrings, et cetera, which means that it can function better. When it only has to do its job, it is much happier. And I could draw this out and, and just like keep going, but for the sake of time, a happier pelvic floor is going to mean a happier pregnancy, a happier recovery, this is what you want. <laughs> you want a happy pelvic floor. You don't want your pelvic floor being over recruited and having to take over for all the jobs that it's not supposed to do. So yeah, hopefully that like made sense as far as the strength training goes. And we will be right back. In addition to support from our amazing sponsors, this episode is brought to you by many of you who listen to this show. One of the primary means of support that I get for this podcast is direct support from listeners on Patreon. For just $5 per month, you can gain instant access to more than 30 bonus episodes with some of your favorite guests from the show, with more coming all the time. I think I've published 37 follow-ups right now. I've recorded follow-up episodes with Emily Harrington, Jonathan Segrist, Steve Bechtel, and so many of your other favorite guests. I actually just recorded one with Matt Fultz to hear about some of his finger training in recent V16 sends. That's going to come out in a couple weeks. So be sure to sign up for Patreon so you don't miss it. With the follow-up episodes, I'm following up with a guest who's been on the podcast to catch up with them, hear what they've been up to, and hear about their latest sends and geek out even more than we would on the regular podcast. Also, if you sign up for Patreon, you will get access to ad-free episodes so you never have to skip through ads again. And I'm learning that many of my patrons don't know this, so I want to say it here. If you become a patron, you can get access to a private Patreon version of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. You can listen to ad-free episodes and all of the follow-ups and everything else all in one place on your podcast app. So you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. You can subscribe to the patron-only version of the show. To learn more, head over to patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing. It only takes a few minutes to sign up and you can cancel at any time no questions asked. That's patreon.com slash the nugget climbing or scroll down and click on the link right there in your podcast app. You can think of it as buying me a beer at the pub after a great day of climbing. All right. I appreciate you guys and thank you so much for listening and for your support. And now back to the show. I hope I was able to bring it full circle for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were, but um, I have follow-up questions for you. So I've, I've followed you on Instagram and seen a lot of the exercises that you do. And something I appreciate about you, and this this will take us on a little bit of a tangent, but it'll come back. And I've heard you talk about this. Like, 
you want to empower women to strength train during pregnancy, but I've heard you say that you want to empower women to strength train in general uh, because it's, you know, it's becoming more normalized, thankfully. And um, it's such a common theme that, you know, strength is the foundational facet of our physiology and, and allows us to express power. It allows us to build endurance on top of our strength. All these things like strength is at the center of so much of what we need physically, what, what we need in climbing. But it's still so often that I go into a weight room and the guys in the weight room are squatting and deadlifting and bench pressing and like moving some weight around. And then there's a few girls in there and they're like doing some weird stuff with bands and stuff and flexing their butts and whatever like it's and i, I don't mean to be um judgmental or condescending or anything yeah. like that it's just still really common that i see women straying away from proper strength training and i don't totally understand why you know but i don't often see women pulling 150 or 200 pounds on a deadlift you know i see them kind of working the movement with little dumbbells or something but they're capable of so much more so I wonder if we could start with that. Like what are what are some of the strength exercises that you try to empower women to do, whether it's for pelvic floor specifically or just generally? Um, are there specific exercises for pelvic floor or are we addressing that through things like deadlifting and kettlebell swings and some of these other exercises I've seen you model on your Instagram page? Um, so... <clears throat> when you talk about a pelvic floor specific exercise. So um, just like I alluded to the bicep, we can do a pelvic floor contraction. It's commonly referred to as a Kegel. So that would be an isolated exercise for your pelvic floor. And a Kegel is a full contraction and relaxation of the pelvic floor. Now those are useful in certain aspects um, and you would need to be assessed by a pelvic floor physical therapist or a pelvic floor physio, uh, wherever you're listening to this at, to determine if Kegels are appropriate for you to be doing. Um, not all women need Kegels. I'm just going to leave it at that because that is a whole other conversation. So just make sure before you start doing a bunch of Kegels that a professional has told you that you actually need to be doing these. Okay. okay. <laughs> because pelvic floor tightness is not something maybe that when you were younger, you were taught that tight is good. That's actually a misnomer. Okay. Um, mm, like yeah. tighter isn't we'll necessarily kind of... better. More isn't better. Right. Right. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, okay. But when we are doing a deadlift, when we're doing a squat, a push up, an overhead press, you're training your pelvic floor because again, we're training everything around the pelvic floor to be stronger so the pelvic floor can just focus on what it needs to do now also how you do these things matter so one of my biggest kind of i don't i guess you could call it like my toxic trait is that i am a i'm pretty particular about form i'm not one of these coaches that's just like yeah it's good enough like I know probably some of the athletes that work with me are like, damn it, Joy. <laughs> just let it be. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm 
no, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> 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 or I'm like, they're going to fire me, but they never do anyway. <laughs> um, when we do things with good form. So I, I didn't say perfect. There is no such thing as perfect. It doesn't exist. We don't need to strive for that. We just need to strive for progress. Okay. When we do things with good form in ways that allow us to obtain, whether it's a stacked position. So that is just referring to having the respiratory and the pelvic diaphragm stacked on top of one another. Uh, we're also able to create, get out of an extension bias pattern. So that just basically means that we are uh, eliminating rib flare. So you think about the lower ribs, like ribs eight through 10, sometimes they can want to flare out and we can kind of use our oblique muscles to eliminate the rib flare. We get out of an anterior pelvic tilt. That just means when the pelvis is dumping forward and we help have some hamstrings and deep core to help pull that pelvis back underneath us. And we're using all of these positions within our body that also is facilitating this feedback to the pelvic floor that it needs. And it's not putting more pressure or bias on one part of the pelvic floor than another. For instance, um, an anterior pelvic tilt is going to put more pressure on the front part of the pelvic floor than the back. Because if you imagine a bowl of water that is tipping forward, you're going to have more water in the front part of that bowl than the back. So you can see how that would put more pressure on the muscles in the front of the pelvis versus the back. So you are asking about empowering women with lifting and you know certain moves that I teach them. That is one of the reasons that I am trying to be pretty particular about form because I think that a lot of times when we go into a gym, um, if there's, you know, a lot of guys around that are moving some big weight and we don't really know exactly what we're doing, that can just feel intimidating. Sure. But yeah. if you know, no, I know how to deadlift. I know how to do this. It's no big deal. I mean, it may feel just kind of, you know, might have to, I don't know, <laughs> like put your big girl pants on and just jump in there and do it. But it's way less scary when you know what you're doing and you mm. feel confident in your form that you're not messing this up. You know what to do with that kettlebell or you know what to do with that barbell. Um, I do think that I'm really glad the narrative is changing around women lifting heavier things and not being scared of that. I do feel like that in my career and circle that I'm in, I'm in a bit of a bubble because I, it's very normalized for me, um, that I see, you know, like you spoke about Natasha Barnes earlier, just women moving a lot of weight around. Um, I see it a lot, especially on like my social media feeds and whatnot, but you are right that there are a lot of, uh, women out there that still, you know, <laughs> take the five pound dumbbells and are doing some sort of, I don't even know, you could call it a deadlift with five pound dumbbells. But um, anyway, a lot of times I will also tell my athletes that I work with, if you can think about your to-do list for the rest of the day, or you can tell me something else about what is happening in your week while you're doing these sets and reps, it's not heavy enough, mm. period. You need to go pick up something heavier. You need to pick up something that makes you pay attention to what you're doing mm. or else it's not heavy enough. Yeah. And if you're training, it's for the purpose of eliciting change to gain strength. 
So you need to be trying hard, even during pregnancy. It's okay to try hard. It's okay to pick up something heavy. We just need to use good strategies, good position, good movement tactics while we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I should I should clarify too. Maybe I don't need to, um, but just to be really safe with this, like I I do see a lot of badass women in the gym, especially in climbing gyms, in the weight rooms in climbing gyms, doing weighted pull-ups, doing heavy deadlifts and bench press and things like that. So if you're a badass woman who lifts heavy and you're listening to this, I see you. I know that you're out there killing it. Um, but yeah, like to your point about the intimidation, I I think the example that I gave a minute ago about the women with the stretchy bands and stuff is fresh in my head because I was just in a like an athletic club, not a climbing gym, but a normal mm-hmm. athletic club to do a weightlifting session. Mm-hmm. And I went in there and I've done a ton of weightlifting and the just like, I just got hit with this like palpable wave of bro. You know, I walked in and was like, whoa, this is, this is a weird scene. And I felt intimidated. And there's like, you know, 20 guys in there and three women in there. And so there's a lot of things wrong still with the culture around strength training and, and gyms and things like that. But yeah, like it's it's awesome that it's changing and I, I'm so thankful for people like you and it's so cool to see more women feeling empowered and feeling confident and educated in the movements enough to be able to walk into a gym like that and just load up a, a barbell and start pulling heavy weight off the floor. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you're not alone in that feeling. Like, I, I mean, I feel like that still if I go into a gym that I'm not familiar with, or even at the climbing gym, if I'm trying out, you know, certain strength, something that I haven't done in a while, or I'm not real sure of, I'm like, Oh God, like nobody's looking. Right. I mean, so I think that just recognizing, Hey, this is literally, I'm a professional at this This is what I do for a living. And I still feel intimidated about Mm. it. Can just be good to know as well. But then also to know, like, Really, nobody's watching you unless you're doing some really weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> and no one cares. Like they're all, they're all yeah. everyone's just preoccupied with themselves and feeling insecure. And then there's just like the guys that seem confident, but they're busy staring at themselves in the mirror. You know, they're not looking at you either. Correct. They're just correct. Yeah. They're or just... everybody's staring at the dude that's like yelling out, you know, with the bench presses <laughs> and stuff. So like right. nobody's watching you. So I have a couple notes here on things women get nervous about um, when it comes to pregnancy and training during pregnancy. And you had mentioned in our first conversation that women are often very inspired by you and your training and climbing during pregnancy uh, because they don't feel like they can do the things that they see you doing. So I'm wondering, and maybe you already answered this with uh educating and teaching good form and things like that. But what else do you do to try to get buy-in from from women? If someone wants to work with you and you you recognize that strength training would probably help stack those cards in their favor like you were talking about, um, but they seem nervous about it, they don't think that they can do it for whatever reason, what do you do to get buy-in from, from those women? Well, so you have to understand that a lot of if we think about what you see me do on social media, so it's, we all understand that in, in many ways, I try to make it not always this way, but you're seeing a highlight reel. Um, you're also seeing things that took me years and years and years to learn how to do and perfect. 
So if somebody sees me doing kettlebell swings, you know, at 36 weeks pregnant, they're like, oh my God, I could never do that. Well, no, I wouldn't suggest to just start out never touching a kettlebell and then try to do kettlebell swings. But we start out learning how to hinge. And then we learn how to do a deadlift with a kettlebell. And then we learn how to clean with a kettlebell. And then we do it progressive in nature like that. So just knowing that everything is a process. And then also, it sounds a little self-defeating, but stay with me. I let them know that I'm not special. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a bad way, but I am not unique in the fact that I can do these things. I just kept trying. I just kept moving. That doesn't mean that I did these, you know, crazy hard workouts during my entire pregnancy. Actually, completely opposite. I did things that just felt really good. Did I try hard sometimes? Yeah, sometimes I did. Other times I didn't really try very hard at all. It just depended on the day and how I felt, but I kept moving. And I think that is a lot of times what will happen is that women will feel just sort of overwhelmed around training during pregnancy, or they feel like if they have previously trained at a pretty high level um, or climbed at a certain level and they don't feel physically capable of that anymore, then they just kind of throw up their hands and say, well, just forget it. Then I don't know, whatever. Uh, I'm really discouraged. This pisses me off now. Like I can't do this, but I do think that having someone to talk to and say, Hey, you know, it's okay. <laughs> I understand you're frustrated. I get it. it. Sucks. This sucks. You feel sick all the time. You don't want to move. Like you're like, what in the hell has happened to me? But understanding like when we put small deposits in, if we're thinking about this, you know, just like with the financial analogy that some deposit is better than no deposit, right? Mm. Because some deposit will still grow. And if we put no deposits in the strength bank, well, then nothing will grow. So just helping them understand, hey, even 10 minutes is better than no minutes. And also if we, if someone is really psyched to learn some of these higher level skills, we'll just say, you know, like a, a swing or a snatch with kettlebells. It's the implement I like to use a lot. It's totally doable during pregnancy. Totally doable. I see women get stronger all the time, all the time. And I also kind of have to, you know, help hold their hand and hold them back at the same time. Like I had an athlete actually yesterday who texted me and said, I'm so discouraged. I feel like I'm not getting my workouts done. I just feel like shit right now. I don't know what to do. Should I just stop training until my second trimester? What do you think? And she's about eight weeks pregnant right now. So what I said was, let's just talk through what's happened here. Like you are used to doing a lot she is very, very active. She wants to train five or six times a week. That's what she's been doing for years. Um, 
I've been trying to pull her back for a while, but I think this is finally the thing that has done it. <laughs> but so I said, you're used to training a whole lot. You're used to also training at a certain intensity. You're feeling like because you can't keep up with that, that you're a failure. But, you know, let's work on dialing back all of this. Let's work on just getting a couple of days where we're just doing some really great mobility, some breath mechanics, and then let's have a couple other days where we're just hitting like five or six basic strength training movements and just calling it good. And let's take that approach for a little while. And she texted me, you know, it's like, oh, that sounds really good. Thank you for helping me think through this. So, um, you know, just thinking through kind of all of the different, um, I just literally have forgot what you even asked me. (laughs) (laughs) So so sorry. No, it's okay. I I just like, I don't even remember the question, right? The the original (laughs) question was about uh, getting buy-in from women. Buy-in. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But you're answering it. This is great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it makes, I guess my whole, yeah, my whole point to that was like, even if they, even if you feel like you can't, or you're feeling discouraged that, you you can you just have to you might have to change your approach mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the thought that was just that just came to mind for me is just how freaking common that is that we. I mean, I do this all the time. I see a lot of other people do it do it too. I think it is just a common human tendency. But we so often just raise like anytime we improve at anything that becomes the new standard in our minds the new like bar to compare ourselves to right so like if i literally break a pr and and hang the most on a hangboard that i've ever hung in my 15 years of climbing and training all of a sudden like anything less than that sucks you know and same with red pointing like oh, I'm st- like 512 doesn't feel easy today. What's wrong with me? And it's like, well, that's not how it works, you know? And yeah. whenever I've come off time off or whenever I've whenever I've tried to come back off of an a injury or, or anything like that, um, kind of recalibrating what I should be doing and what's normal um, is, is often the hardest part. And then once you embrace where you're at and just start working from there, it's always just shocking how quickly you get back to a level that you're happy with in my experience you know it's just but that process initially of kind of zooming out and looking at where you are and just embracing it and separating it from your highlight reel your own personal highlight reel that it's tempting to compare yourself to at this moment in time like that's the hardest part but then you are empowered and you know where you are and you you can actually take steps to improve from from that place so Yeah. I mean, I think just changing from a performance oriented mindset to more of an exploratory Mm. mindset that during pregnancy, you could be performance oriented. There are definitely, you know, I know of girls that have done pretty hard red points during the first um, trimester, but past that it gets pretty <laughs> I, it's just hard i mean i'm yeah. not saying it can't be done it, it's just hard sure. um yeah. but using it as a as a chance to okay so let's say in general you are a very performance oriented climber that you're used to chasing grades you like doing that etc um 
And you know that since you're not going to be able to do that, okay, so maybe now you use this opportunity to work on some little niggles that you just constantly ignore, like your shoulder or something in your hip, or you just use it as a chance to learn more about your body in general about like how, okay, so how does this pelvic core thing actually work? How does this like breath thing, how do I actually find my deep core, et cetera, et cetera, um, and learning really good form for strength training. I know Mina talked about really using her postpartum recovery as a chance to get more disciplined and get more into strength training because Mm -hmm. she hadn't really ever taken the time to do it before, uh, which I thought was really cool just to hear from someone of her level say, hey, like, you know, I'm not just getting back into it and just chasing these grades. Like, I'm going to use this opportunity to learn more about how I can get my body stronger and then get back into it, you know, in a way that feels good for me. Yeah, that's great. Um, I have I have one more thought kicking around in my head. Actually, this takes us back uh, quite a few minutes now, but you started off your answer to that last question by saying, you know, I'm not that special. Like there's nothing uniquely special about me that allows me to be able to strength train like anyone can do it. You know, that's an empowering message. And it made me think of uh, something that I think Steve Bechtel said um, I can't even remember if it was on my pod, my podcast or someone else's, but I just, I latched onto this idea, this kind of reframe, and I think it's so powerful, but he takes that idea like, and, and kind of flips it around, you know, like, cause it's so, it's so tempting and in common and easy for us to make excuses for ourselves and, and tell ourselves stories about why we can't do things that other people can do. And so he asked the question, what makes you so special that you can't do that thing? You know, like for me, it would be like, it's harder for me. This is the story I make up in my brain. It's harder for me to to climb 514 than for some other people because I'm not genetically as talented or I have fat fingers or I have weak fingers or blah, blah, blah. Like I can play that game all day. But then I think about his question, like what makes me so special that I think I can't do that? You know, like it, it just kind of is this kick in the ass. Like, okay, a lot of people have done it. It's probably possible for me too. So maybe I'm actually just missing something in my preparation or in my mindset around around this challenge that I have in front of me. So I think that's really powerful. Um, that's a really powerful reframe that people can think about. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I think Steve Bechtel was like the OG. I think <laughs> you and I had talked about him before where I like, totally like face and hands was like, Oh yeah, his book. And you wrote the Ford for <laughs> yeah. Right. It had forgot <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. So his, his most recent book metal for people that um, don't so know what we're good. talking about. So yeah. Good. It's great. Yeah. It's a collection of uh, articles that he originally published for free on his blog over all these years, but he, he packaged them together in this great book. And uh, I felt very honored to, when he asked me to write the forward for that. So people can yeah. go check yeah, that out. Yeah, I actually just got done reading um, a passage in there and I loved it. And it was talking about how, as you get older, the amount of friends that you have participating in the sport climbing, it just drops off dramatically. Mm. And that, you know, he's seen it happen over and over and over again. And I kind of also think, that happens with parenthood too, unfortunately, that once 
you or, you know, friends start having kids that they kind of disappear from the scene and, and they no longer climb, um, which I think is, is sad and it can feel, it can feel really hard. Um, just kind of like approaching, Oh God, (laughs) now I'm going to have to start going climbing with my kid and like, how am I going to manage that? And you know, all these other things, but in his, in this piece in the book, he was talking about one of his friends who um, climbed his first 513 at age 50. And anyway, I think Steve and, and his whole point was that he had alluded to staying strong for longevity purposes. And had he missed a few hard, maybe red points along the way? Yes, but he was still climbing at this pretty sustained level um, now. And that, that was, um, that felt really good for him. Mm. Um, so anyway, but yeah, I was kind of thinking of it in the aspect of seeing when you have friends that have kids and then they just kind of stop climbing because it's too complicated or too much or whatever the case may be. Um, but when you see families that keep doing the thing, even though it's different and it's, yeah, it can be like chaos at the crag. I mean, like the, you know, story I've told at the beginning of my kid shit his pants in the crag. (laughs) You just never know what's going to happen, but you're just still out there doing your thing and having fun and showing (laughs) your children, Hey, this is this thing that I love to do. This is this thing that lights my soul on fire. That makes Mm. me happy. And you're sharing that with them. It would make me really sad for my kids to miss out on that experience with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, for you guys listening to this too, I will link to Metal, Steve's book in the show notes for this episode if you want to find a, a convenient way to, um, yeah, if you want to check it out, buy it, I'll put it, I'll put a link to it on Amazon right there in the show notes for this episode so you can check it out. So you had talked about, in this conversation already, you had mentioned that we're likely mostly talking to recreational climbers in this conversation. And you're, I think you're right. We probably are. But I know that there are a lot of high performers who listen to this podcast as well. And I would be curious, um, this is another thing that we had written down in our notes here that women are often nervous about is losing what they've worked so hard for, you know, losing their climbing ability. And for for athletes, for women that have invested a lot in themselves as athletes, as climbers over, you know, a decade or decades, I'm sure that feels a lot scarier than it does to someone who enjoys climbing on the weekends, but isn't as attached to their performance and their, their abilities and their growth as an athlete. Um, so I want to, I want to ask you if you have thoughts for those women that are listening to this, or if you've worked with high performing, um, high level performers, climbers, and cause we've all seen it. Like I've, you know, there's plenty of examples in the climbing industry of women who have, you know, become mothers, had families, and then have reached their previous ability level or surpassed their previous ability level and are still climbing really hard. But do you have any additional thoughts for that common fear, that thing that a lot of women are nervous about, like losing the things that they've worked so hard for? I guess, is it possible? Like, is it possible to still climb hard and get back to where you left off after? Oh, fully. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm That's just, what I'm getting at. 
yeah, I guess I'm just pausing because I'm a little bit in the the thick of that right now myself, like with a four month old infant of just like, I mean, I am on a bit of a roller coaster of like, you know, am I going to be able to do these things that I really want to do? Um, for me, it's not a physical aspect. It's more of like a logistical sort of, um, yeah, life. <laughs> um, but from, from a physical aspect, I think that, yes, fully, you should be able to get back to doing what you were doing. I think that you also have to create some context around it because you have to, you have to understand that it may not happen as quickly. So let's just use, if we're, you know, talking about a very high performing climber, let's use 514. Okay. So let's say that they, um, had climbed multiple 514s. That was, and that is what they would like to be able to do again. So before they had their kid, um, number one, they had never had a kid. So their body had not been through that. Um, they are not recovering from having a child. They also were able to go train whenever they wanted to train, whether that was morning, afternoon, evening, they were able to go to the crag, put in as many tries on the route. Um, they were not dependent on childcare or a infant's feeding schedule, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on <laughs> when you are talking about kids and training and being at the crag. Um, so I think that just knowing it is going to take more, it's going to take more to get to the same level. It will take more mentally because you have more on your plate as a parent. You have this whole other side that has been added to your identity. Literally, you have to add a mother identity to what you already have going on. You have an athlete identity, you have a physical identity, you have um, just a personal identity. So you're having to integrate this mother identity into all of that. And there's, there's never these clear cut lines between those. They're always kind of flowing back and forth and, you know, you may be up on a route and then you hear your baby screaming. Well, then of course, probably not going to be the best time to like try and <laughs> execute this really hard crux sequence when you know you have an infant screaming at the bottom, like just mentally, that's very difficult. Um, so I think that yes, fully, you can get back to what you were doing before, but just knowing that it is, it, it will be different and it probably will be harder and it may feel really discouraging because you're like, God, <laughs> like I used to be able to, you know, like for instance, like this certain route didn't used to feel this hard, but you know, you may, it may have been six months since you got four hours of sleep in a row. And we just, I mean, you just have to understand these things about your body and about what you're asking it to do and about what you're asking your mind to do. Because when we're climbing at our limit, it is not only very physically taxing, but it's very mentally taxing as well. And you have to be all there. You have to be all in. But when you are a parent, especially a newer parent, that is so hard. So, so hard. 
Um, you're not getting enough sleep. You're having to adjust everything about your life, even adjusting your social circles, et cetera. Um, so I think that's just like a really important thing to realize is that, yeah, it, it's just going to take more. But the really, really sweet side of all of that is that when you do get it, it is awesome. Like that feeling is amazing that you accomplish this thing. You accomplish this thing after having a baby, after having to train when you are dead tired, after having to put in effort that you never even thought possible, after having to jump through so many different hoops, like you did this. And I will say that there is not, I mean, like coming down off of something um, and having like your child, like say like, wow, or, you know, <laughs> good job. Or even I was in the, I was in the gym with my daughter the other day and I climbed a boulder, which was like, it was no big deal. But when I came down, she was clapping and say, mommy, climb, mommy, climb, mommy, climb. <laughs> and just like so excited for me. Right. Oh, wow. And she's I mean, two? literally, yes, she's two. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so and it just cute. like, I got so choked up because I was like, she sees it. Like she sees me doing this thing I love and she's excited. Um, so yeah, I think that for just as hard as it's going to be and just it, as overwhelming as it will feel and fully knowing that it will feel that way, um, that what happens on the other side is it is quite, quite beautiful. Mm. <laughs> That's amazing. That's yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. And I'd wanted to ask you about your own climbing. Uh, you recently hired Maddie from Lattice to help you with your I own did. climbing goals. Is that right? How is that going? I did. Yeah. yeah. What What are your What is your climbing goal right now? Tell me about that. So my climbing goal is to climb five twelve. I am super stoked. I am like intimidated, scared, all the things at the same time. Um, I think that it's a misnomer that just because um, just because you're a coach that you don't get unsure about your ability to do things. I mean, mm. I know you coach some people as well. And it's like, you know, you're telling people, other people all day long, like, yeah, you know, you can do it. We're gonna do this thing. You've got this. But then when it comes to yourself, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's going really, really good. And she's so sweet and so amazing. Her and I have chatted, uh, multiple times, uh, before I started training with her just around, uh, when she would have questions about, um, some of her athletes during uh, postpartum or pregnancy and whatnot. And it just felt like a really good fit for me. Um, so I'm also super stoked yesterday in the mail, uh, my, I got a tension grindstone board. It was father's day yesterday, whenever this episode comes out, but I was like, Oh, happy father's day to me. <laughs> Congratulations. Nice. You get to hang this up for me. Thank you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm stoked to be able to have, they, we have, you know, several boards at the gym, but I was like, I just need to get a setup at home just to make it more conducive. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Having a hang. Yeah. If you don't have a hangboard at home and you're serious about any kind of training, just get a hangboard. It doesn't have to be a complicated yeah. hangboard. 
It can literally be a campus rung, but just get something that you can hang on at home. Yeah. Yeah. I had a Trango Prodigy, but I don't know. I just decided I like this one. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I like training on wood myself too, personally. Um, But that's interesting. I'd wanted to ask you about that too. So your husband is not a climber. Do you have any advice um, or anything you can speak to about navigating that with your partner? Because I think you're unique in that way. I'm sure there's a lot of other women out there who are mothers who want to climb whose husbands don't climb. But I'm sure the opposite's a lot more common, or at least I've seen the opposite a lot more often, where the the wife, the mother is less of a, you know, less of a performance-oriented climber at least. Uh, maybe more of a recreational climber. The guy still really wants to get after it. Um, but yeah, any tips? Yeah, like they're just kind of along for the ride. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I could be totally wrong. Maybe it, maybe it's totally 50-50 or who knows. But um, but regardless, I guess what I will say like, is that relationships are always so challenging and navigating that and communicating and all those things when you feel pulled in so many different directions with trying to, you know, meet the needs of your partner and your kids and try to protect your own needs and, and, you know, give yourself what you need in your climbing. It's just hard. It's, it's really hard. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for how you and your husband navigate that? To be completely honest, no, because we're still learning how to do this. Mm. Before our daughter was born, so that was two years ago, it was a much different story because there were no, so my son, my older son, um, yes, he was around, but it's a lot different when you're navigating something with a 12 year old or, you know, a teenager versus an infant, just completely, completely different. Um, So we are still, we're still learning. We're still very much in the, how is this going to work phase? But here is, so I don't have any practical tips, I guess, except for this. To any women out there who their partner is not a climber, so the stoke is not there, you know, they have to create their own stoke around these trips, outings, getting to the gym, et cetera, whatever that may be, is that be selfish. Just be selfish. It is okay if you have a baby if you have a young child you are giving 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 all the time Mm. and you need to learn to say i need to put something back into me so whether that is climbing or whether that is being able to go read a book in a coffee shop whatever that is just learn to be selfish and create some boundaries around that Um, it's something I really struggle with myself, um, especially when it comes like to my work, because I love, love what I do, but I find it really hard to like create boundaries around it. Um, but knowing, knowing that you, you're going to probably have to force yourself to be selfish because it's, it's a way easier to just say, oh, well, I guess we'll just do some other thing or no, I don't have, I guess I just won't go to the gym because it's easier not to go. I mean, it takes a lot for me to get to the gym (laughs) a lot because sometimes my husband will go sometimes. I mean, he's not a climber, like he'll go and sit and hang out, but 
so for instance, he really likes to play disc golf. I'm not super into disc golf. If I can, you know, drink some beers and walk around while he throws disc, well, okay, I'll be psyched on it then. But <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just not as fun for me as it is for him. And right. the same goes for climbing. He's perfectly willing to support me. But for instance, for me to be able to get to the gym, some gym, sometimes I have to make it, make sure that there is breast milk here, or I have to make sure that, you know, I have childcare and that he has X, Y, and Z, what he needs for me to be able to leave the baby. Like it's, it's a lot of effort and I have to be very conscientious of, no, I am making this happen instead of just saying, I'll oh, just forget it. It's too much trouble mm. or, you know, very, um, I have to really create boundaries around, I am going to work out for 45 minutes. Do not bother me. Mm. Unless a kid is dying. Right. <laughs> Don't come get me. Like, you know, I, I need this time. This is my time. Um, so that would be just my kind of, I guess, encouragement more than anything is just to recognize that it is totally okay to be selfish and you should be selfish about these things because you're putting effort back into yourself and you need that to be a good mom, to be a good partner. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that message. And I mean, it's so relevant to everybody, you know, it's, it's the same as, it's the same as anything. Like you can't be the best partner you can be in a relationship, even if you're a male and you don't have children, you know, you can't be that unless you're making sure you carve out time to fill yourself up with what you need as well, you know, and it, for you and, and for women listening to this who are mothers or are considering like, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure I can imagine like making up this story in your minds that, um, just feeling guilty about taking time for yourself, but it, it's, you know, it absolutely doesn't mean that you don't care about your kids or you don't care as much about your kids as someone else who's sacrificing themselves completely for the sake of their kids. Like, no, it's going to make you a better mom. It's going to give you energy and give you that like spark of excitement in life that you're going to be able to pass on to your kids. And I, I mean, I, I personally, like, I think it's, it's so, it's got, it, it must be so important to show your kids that you are in love with something and that you care about it enough to carve out time for it. You know, like what a great message to pass on, whether that's climbing or anything. Um, and, you know, sacrificing that to put their needs first all the time. It's just, it's going to burn you out. And I don't know if it's better for them anyway, you know? Well, I mean, I think about it, especially from the aspect of, my daughter, would I want my daughter to do that? And I don't, I don't want her to just self-sacrifice to make, you know, give, give to make other people happy her whole life. Of course, I think there's a balance. Of course I do. I don't think that she, I don't think being self-centered and only fulfilling your own wants and wishes is the way to go, but I don't want her to think that you know, if she chooses to have children one day, that being a mother is going to be the only thing that is able to define her. And who is going to teach her that if I don't? Mm. Ah, I love it. That's great. I want to read a question that I got from Mina oh. <laughs> for you. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I reached out to Mina knowing that I was going to be talking to you to see if she had any questions and 
Um, I'll just read this whole paragraph. It was really sweet. Mina wrote, talking about you, she wrote, she is very empowering. She gave me a lot of confidence to carry on doing certain things while pregnant, just modifying so they were appropriate. It'd be interesting to know about her background a bit more, how she got into what she does now and some of the key light bulb moments for her. I felt like pregnancy was full of those for me. Oh, I can still deadlift. Right. Okay. My low back pain actually got better during pregnancy. Um, so yeah, we've, we've talked about your background and how you got into what you do now, but um, the key light bulb moments, I thought that was a really interesting question from Mina. Do you have any of those that come to mind for you, um, whether that's through your own pregnancies or through educating yourself or through coaching other women? What are some of those light bulb moments for you? Oh gosh. So I think literally the whole past 2021 was just a year of light bulb moments because <laughs> I started to dive really deep into some more continuing education that I hadn't been exposed to previously that had a lot to do with breath mechanics and how the position of your thorax and your pelvis affect each other and how those relate to pregnancy, what we can do about those, how we can use those to bias different things that we want during um, postpartum, et cetera, et cetera. And just, just learning so much more than I, I mean, I guess even more so than light bulb was just like mind blown. <laughs> um, and that was one of the things that I worked with Mina with um, was on some different ways that she could use breath to influence like different aspects of her pelvic floor that can allow you to get deeper into a hinge so that you can lengthen your glutes more and get more out of your deadlift, et cetera. Um, yeah. So I, I honestly think that that would be what feels like the best answer to that question to me right now would be just learning all of that stuff. Um, and also I have had the amazing privilege to work with lots of women throughout their whole pregnancy and beyond now. And just like, don't underestimate them. Oh my God. I mean, these women are bad ass during their entire pregnancy. And a lot of times it's like, you know, I'm kind of like holding them back sort of like, well, I mean, okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, seriously, we just, as a society, it seems like we are so conditioned to thinking that once you become pregnant, you are, you just like become an eggshell overnight. Mm. And that is just not the case, especially if you are someone who has spent a long time, you have a a pretty substantial training age, you've been strength training for a while, or you've been climbing for a while, et cetera. You don't just lose all that overnight. That's silly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that just that doesn't make sense. Yeah. You just become pregnant. <laughs> um, and that is a big deal, but it, you did not turn into a, your, you know, all of that effort and work that you've put in did not just disappear mm. overnight. Um, so I think that's like another big thing that I've learned is that, do not underestimate these women during pregnancy. Like I just saw, and even I was like, 
damn girl, yes. Emily Harrington yesterday ran Broken, I think it's Sky, Broken Sky Arrow. I'm probably getting the name wrong. Anyway, so 26K, I think it had like 5,000 feet of vert in the race. Uh, she's 18 weeks pregnant. Wow, I didn't I didn't actually know that she was 18 weeks pregnant. Broken oh, that's great. Sky Arrow, Broken Arrow, Sky something. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, I'll yeah, find her. I'll find her Instagram post. I'm sure she shared about it. Yeah, yeah. she did, and I was just like, "Oh hell yeah! <laughs> wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing! That's so cool." Um, yeah, that reminds me of a question I had earlier. This is something I've been asked before. Not, I mean, I haven't been asked this, but this is a question that has been submitted for other women that I've had on the show. And you're a perfect person to ask. I didn't actually get this question again, but relaxin, the the hormone relaxin, uh, you were talking about, you know, if if women decide not to climb during pregnancy, it might be worth throwing in some finger training of some kind to keep their fingers strong. Are you concerned about relaxin at all? And And what would your guidance be around that? Like, is that, is that reason not to train your fingers or or even not to climb does it just vary a lot women woman to woman or is there a way to know whether or not we should be concerned about that what are your thoughts yeah no that's a really really good question and it's a super kind of like buzzword when you get pregnant like relaxing i'm gonna like you know fall apart now because of relaxing <laughs> turn into a puddle um, yeah 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 so relaxing just from like a scientific standpoint it peaks around 12 to 14 weeks and then it stays relatively stable um for the duration of pregnancy so that is just something to know that around that 12 to 14 week mark it does peak so what relaxant actually does is it is a hormone that acts on the connective tissue in your body and it does exactly what the name implies. It allows it to just stretch and become um, a little and have less tension on it, if you will, uh, because the ligaments in the pelvis in the rib cage, they need to be able to accommodate the pregnancy. So it allows your body uh, to change in a way that will accommodate the pregnancy. Now, when it comes to the fingers, I think it depends. Have you been finger training prior to pregnancy? If not, it may not be the best time to start training fingers. <laughs> um, you know, finger training, you know, our fingers are very small and I don't know that I would just, I don't think that that would be the best modality to use if you had not been doing it before. There are also ways that we can approach finger training in um, different protocols that you can use. I am definitely not a hangboard uh, expert. You have had lots of those on your show, but um, I think that I'm not as concerned about relaxing in the fingers. I think it just, it depends on like, how long have you been hangboarding for? Have you done it at all before? Is this really what is going to be the biggest bang for your buck here? So just kind of navigating those things. When we're thinking about relaxing as far as the pelvis and the rib cage, the really interesting thing um, that a lot of women don't realize, and I don't know that I realized it myself until I just, you know, kind of started diving into the research on this, is that even before 
anatomically you need these things to happen, your body starts to change. So for instance, your rib cage angle, if you find your uh, xiphoid process, so your, your sternum, which is the bone that's in the middle of your rib cage, at the very bottom of that, there's a little pointy part that you can feel that's your xiphoid process and your rib um, angle that comes out from that. So those lower ribs or ribs like eight through 10, that angle actually increases so widens by about 40 degrees by the end of pregnancy so if you think about your angle looks more like a v to begin with and then by the end it's like a very very wide v and then also front to back and side to side the actual diameter of your rib cage increases by about two centimeters each way so that's a huge change. And that starts to happen before your uterus is even pushed all of your organs up into that space where it dictates that it needs that space. So just kind of understanding that these changes are occurring. And then we have um, the pubic symphysis in the pelvis and the relaxant also affects that joint in the front of the pelvis. Um, but the best thing about all of this is that having really strong muscles around those <laughs> those parts of your body supports it. So some women find that relaxing kind of bothers them a little more. And these are women that tend to be a little more mobile to begin with. Um, if you think of someone who maybe describes himself as hypermobile or they're just very, very bendy and flexy. So to them, they may not, they may feel especially unstable mm. during pregnancy, but um, without going down too much of a rabbit hole, in general, people who maybe feel hypermobile, um, they have a lot of trouble with owning the range of motion that they do have even without pregnancy. So they don't have strength in these end ranges that they're able to go to. They can just kind of get there, but then they're like gumby mm -hmm. almost. Um, so we would need to get them a little more force production <laughs> even outside of pregnancy, but it's just like that relax and just kind of augments all of that. But some other people who maybe are feel like they're chronically tight in some way, relaxing can actually feel kind of good. Mm. They're like, Oh, Oh, wow. All right. I feel like loose and all lubed up. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think hopefully that answers your question. So strength training can be very protective around like movements of the pelvis. And then the rib cage is going to widen um, no matter what. Um, and then again, I think it just depends on the person as far as um, hangboarding goes and relaxing. Um, you know, it would be like an awesome study. Maybe uh, Carrie wants to do it on relaxing and finger strength. Yeah. <laughs> That would be super cool. It'd be, There's it'd been be, nothing like that done. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. It sounds like similar to your recommendations for climbing in general, like do what feels natural to you. Do um, do what makes sense based on your own personal experience and how your body's changing and, and um, reacting or adapting to pregnancy. Um, kind yeah. of individual, but not really a strong reason to be afraid of doing some, no, some hangboarding. No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I do think that super um, doing finger work, um, just like with um, blocks or implements that you use by your side probably would be a lot more comfortable and um, put less pressure on your core um, past the like second trimester or so. Um, I think hanging is still fine during the first trimester. It just becomes a, a, a core pressure issue. And that's a whole other 
subject. Yeah. Um, but yeah. We've been talking for two hours and I want to respect your time and let you go here pretty soon. I think I'll start wrapping up in a minute, but I had asked you what some of the biggest bang for your buck considerations were, you know, as far as strength training at each stage of pregnancy. And I just have two notes that you had mentioned pelvic floor and breath mechanics. And of course, you've talked a lot about both of those in this conversation. Uh, but we, we haven't really done a deep dive on either and given people a lot of practical takeaways. And that could be a whole other two-hour conversation between us, I'm sure. And you're welcome back on the show anytime to talk more about those things. So I'll, I'll just ask you this, like what are... Um, obviously, hopefully people that are interested can just reach out to you and, and hire you and work with you. But do you have other resources where you share more of the specifics around how to train your pelvic floor? Um, some of the things you've learned about breath mechanics that help during pregnancy um, for people that are interested in doing a deep dive. Yeah. So do you, so are you asking me? Sorry, where, I'm... where can people go to do more of a deep Learn dive more. with you on those two things. Yeah. Since we probably won't get to it in more detail yeah. here. Yeah. But obviously if you want to, if you have more thoughts that come to mind that you want to share, I'm not in any rush to get out of here. So it's up to you. Well, what if I just like very briefly just give you like a kind of like, why is this important? Yeah. Sort of thing. I guess I'm just trying to think like other resources I mean, I can recommend other, I don't know, like coaches or, but it's really hard to find one that knows any, well, there's not any that know anything about climbing and this stuff that I know of. Except for you. <laughs> yeah. But like, wouldn't it be so cool if I was like the start of this like revolution? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, I think you are. I think you're doing it. Oh, that would be like so amazing because I think like when I see, you know, these like young competition climbers and I mean, our sport is growing insanely right now. And we have all of these young girls coming up and, and growing up in this sport. And one day they may choose to have children. And like, it's my hope that by then there's lots of research that we can use to talk about, you know, hangboarding and relaxing or, and relaxing, or, you know, that we can use to say, okay, like here's our return to climbing protocol, because we have some research now around return to running after pregnancy protocol that like I base my return to uh, climbing protocol, like for my athletes, I take recommendations from that return to run and extrapolate and able to just use different parameters around that for climbing. But like how amazing it will be that hopefully, you know, one day that we'll have all of these things for climbers and all of this data and resources for them. So I don't know, then like my rowboat would be totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, but now I have not answered your question about pelvic floor. <laughs> but yeah, pelvic floor and breath mechanics. Is there more that you want to say in this conversation or do you want to just point people towards other resources that you have where they can learn more? Um, well, you can definitely always uh, reach out to me and I do one-on-one -on -one sessions um, with athletes all the time where we just... They're like, hey, I literally want to understand this better. And I love that where they maybe not necessarily 
um, they already have a training plan or they are just thinking about getting pregnant and they want to empower themselves with more knowledge. So we just, we have a conversation about it and I'm like, Hey, let's talk about it. This is how respiratory diaphragm influences your pelvic floor. These are things that we want to think about. We want to learn about. Um, I give them a couple exercises and we just kind of, you know, keep in touch on how things are going. And then sometimes they'll be like, Hey, I'm pregnant. Like, all right, let's do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but I think like if there was just one takeaway that I could tell people today is that learning how to actually take a really, really good inhale and exhale is, is a skill. We don't realize that, that breathing is a skill. And in the day and age that we live in, we are mostly driven by this sympathetic nervous state, which is fight or flight, where we're in these more shallow breathing patterns. And you can honestly think of breathing as you do almost strength training, where it's an exercise that you need to work on. And the benefits are just they, I mean, it, it, it's so much to go into again. That's like a whole other conversation. Um, and if you haven't read, it's like a breath by James Nestor, I mm. think is the name of the, or maybe breathe. It's fascinating. Just fascinating. Yeah. It's a really good book. Um, I think that's been downloaded but, on my Kindle for like a year. I haven't read it yet, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've been recommended that book many times. Um, it obviously, really is good. Yeah. Obviously not just for pregnancy. It's just, it's just so mm-hmm. like breath is so fascinating. It's something that we all do. Oh, yeah, subconsciously. That book has nothing to do with pregnancy. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But yeah, it's so relevant for focus, for athletics, for recovery, Mm -hmm. like whatever. Um, I'll be sure to link to that book in the show notes, but yeah, sorry. Yeah. Please continue. Oh no. I mean, I was just saying that I think that learning that, Hey, this is a skill that no matter if I am a partner supporting my, um, supporting someone through pregnancy or I'm thinking about going through pregnancy myself, or I went through pregnancy 10 years ago, but I still have, you know, some peeing when I'm trying hard boulder problems or something like that. It's literally your breath is where you start. Wow. That is where you start. And is that connected to pelvic floor? Like is is breath work, are those some of the exercises that you have people work on to strengthen or improve the, I don't know, um, yeah, I guess just strengthen their pelvic floor or is it things like deadlifting and kettlebell swings and some of the more traditional strength workouts or, or exercises that you do? So... Yes. I'll just say yes to both. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Great. So because it has to breath is the reason you start with breath is because it influences the way your pelvic floor accepts and deals with pressure. Every time we breathe, there is a pressure, uh, change exchange gradient, whatever you want to call it, that is going on within your abdomen and your pelvic floor is responding to that pressure change every single time you breathe. So we can use different breathing drills, if you will, um, in different positions that bias different parts of our pelvic floor and also bias our ribcage or our pelvis into different positions that maximize whatever effect it is that we want to make happen. So say I want to get somebody more internal rotation, um, that will allow them to create more force, allow them to 
create more length within their posterior pelvic floor. And I'll just leave it at that without using like too many jargony words. Um, then I can use a certain position and a certain type of breath to help target that. Wow. So then what I've done is I've opened up the back of the pelvis so that they can lengthen through those glutes. I've found them some proximal hamstrings so that they can get their pelvis under. They're no longer anteriorly tilting, no longer extended through the abdomen. So then when they go to deadlift, they're able to recruit all of these things and so basically they take a position, they influence it during breath, and then they help make it stick through strength training. Mm. And so you're integrating the pelvic floor into all of that. But again, just training your pelvic floor is Kegels, but that's like a bicep curl, right? Where it's just this one, um, isolated exercise. Um, but based off of everything we've talked about in this conversation, we know that like your pelvic floor is influenced by every single thing around it. Um, so you don't want to just train it in isolation. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And that, that, yeah, I mean, actually that's, I like the bicep analogy because if kegels are the bicep curl, I mean, we use our biceps in so many other exercises and we need to be able to do a lot more than curl something, right? Like mm -hmm. we need to be able to recruit them when we're doing weighted pull-ups and we need to be able to mm -hmm. use them on the hangboard or during climbing, during undercling moves. Um, I mean, you, you even like, you even use a lot of bicep strength when you're straight arm deadlifting. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's an interesting analogy. I like that. Well, yeah. cool. Let's, uh, knowing, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go, please. Oh, I was just saying, just knowing that, like, if you are feel like really overwhelmed by this pelvic floor stuff, you're like, oh God, like, I don't even know where to start. It's 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 not scary you start mm. with your breath work it's not like having to do like self-internal exams like yes that is something you can explore if that feels appropriate for you but it's 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 not as out there as people think and i have uh fortunately been able to really normalize talking about breathing into your butthole with all of my <laughs> athletes <laughs> Oh my gosh. So I think we've yeah. got a we've got a quote for Instagram for the podcast. It's <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I just have a few more quick questions in wrapping up, Joy. This is I've okay. I've really, really loved this conversation. Um, so thank you. But yeah, just a few more fun short questions. First off, do you have any advice for business owners, for coaches who are building their own coaching business or are struggling with the business side of it? Because you, that's something that really impresses me about you. Um, you're not only a, mo a mother of three and a strength coach, but you're able to grow your own business and just show up on Instagram in a way that is creating a ton of value for people for free and is really hard to do. Like I know personally that being like having the information and being able to help people, but then being able to market yourself as a, as a business, those are two completely different things and different skills. And they take, they, they each take a tremendous amount of energy and it's very different energy. So I'm curious if you have any advice, um, for coaches or trainers or whoever out there, like has the thing that they love, that they want to do more of, that they want to help people with, but then are struggling with promoting and, growing a business so what i like to do is 
I often use Instagram as a way to hash out something that I am learning. Or if I feel like I need to be able to explain this better, I will use Instagram as a way to do it because you have a very limited amount of time and you also need to be able to explain things in a way that are applicable to a broad audience. So if you are wanting to grow your business, what I would recommend is you give away as much information as you can. You give it away again and again and again and again, because people will pay you to tell them again. (laughs) And (laughs) once is never, there's a really great, um, coach that I follow on on Instagram. Her name is Shantae Cofield. Her energy is absolutely amazing, but she says once is never. And it is exactly true because once is never once is never Mm. how many times I talk about pelvic floor, my Instagram, who knows? I have no idea how many times I've talked about breathing, but you say it again and again and again, because somebody else needs to hear it a different way. Just because someone over there is, is talking or saying the same thing. It doesn't matter because you have your own way of saying it. You're going to have your own way of delivering it, of presenting it that will resonate with your audience. And you just be true to yourself. I don't know that. I mean, like people are always like, Oh, how do you come up with this stuff or how you do stuff? Like, I don't know. I just think of what I would want someone to tell me, Mm. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and sometimes it does well and sometimes it doesn't, but whatever, like, I still know that what I created is valuable or I think it's funny. I don't know. Maybe nobody else does, but whatever, like (laughs) I'm also doing this for free. So (laughs) (laughs) sue me if you don't like it yeah no it's great it's It's, like okay (laughs) it's you're able to show up on there in a in a very fun you bring a very fun energy to your instagram um, and what you share for free and it's it's very helpful information as well so i think you do a great job of it um has that been a good investment for you like is it mostly instagram is that how you're able to grow your brand and connect with new clients and things like that Okay. Just Instagram. Yep. Um, when COVID hit, I was at home like the rest of the world. And I just was like, Hey, I'm just going to kind of do this. I didn't do it with any like end goal of I'm going to do this to create this, you know, business and blah, blah. I had no end goal. I just kind of enjoyed showing exercises and whatnot. And it just, it was just really organic to be quite honest, um, into what it is today, which I'm still like, I don't, what, what is it? I don't know. It's, I just show up there and like, Hey, like, (laughs) let's talk about this thing. Um, and it's allowed me to connect with people that I (laughs) would have never, ever, ever dreamed of being able to talk to and connect with, um, like I, um, talked to Shauna Coxie the other day and I literally like before I did I was like oh my god oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing yeah I mean and like I texted my dad like daddy oh my god (laughs) he has no idea who she is but he was like and you're older than her no I I love that (laughs) 
That's so great. Yeah. And he was like, good job, princess. <laughs> oh my That's God, great. He has no concept really, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, I think it, it's just allowed me to present some very fun aspects of my life, you know, and then other not so fun aspects. Like I try to be pretty open about the miscarriages that I had because that is something that is not talked about enough at all. And the more just kind of emotional or, or harder parts of being a mom that um, I think you know, we're made to think that if we like, don't like being around our kids all the time and stuff, then that makes us a bad parent or, but it's just like, that's just silly. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just, I don't know. I just try to be authentic and thankfully it's resonating with some people and yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. That's great. Um, I wanted to ask you about two things from your email signature the first thing I noticed oh, okay. is that you end every email or you've ended every email to me with uh, love and muscles. That is like your, instead of saying like sincerely or instead of saying, you know, best wishes or cheers or whatever, it's love and muscles. Why and how, why love and muscles and how did that come to be? Well, first of all, you say why, I'm like, well, why not? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's, it I guess it's so self, yeah, it's self-explanatory. Yeah. Where'd that yeah. come from? Did, is that something that just popped into your head one day or? No, there was, um, this gym that I used to follow back in the day on Instagram and their thing was peace, love and muscles. And it just, I was like, I, I liked that, but it didn't feel quite right or something. And then one day I just said love and muscles and I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's it for me <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah it so fits. that's just yeah it's just sometimes i still get kind of like i guess I, like even this morning when i sent you an email i was like is love and muscles odd no i'm still right no no it's like it's like perfectly <laughs> on brand you know it i almost didn't ask about it because it just felt so normal it just was like of course she wrote that but it's it made me curious still um yeah. but i want to ask you about another thing you had a quote this is like you know, in your more, um, also in your email signature, but this is in like the, the part that's like auto generated that has like your mm -hmm. you know ways to connect with you and who you are and your, mm -hmm. um, certifications and things. But yeah, there's a little quote that says the best project you will ever work on is you. And I really like that. Can you elaborate on that and why you resonate with that quote and want to share it? Because I feel like it's something that we lose sight of a lot of times. And it, of course, has, you know, a pun on climbing because of project, et cetera. But I don't ever want to stop working on me, like ever, emotionally, physically, you know, in my relationships and being a parent and being a friend and being a coach. Um, and it's just my hope that I can help other people see the value in that as well, because I really believe that as a coach, you have the ability to number one, just change somebody's life. I mean, you, you mm. really do when you can help someone feel stronger, feel more confident to move better and, um, to obtain a 
a goal, um, no matter what that goal is, when, when you help somebody do that, you can change your life. And then also just knowing that it is okay to always be a work in progress. And like, why don't we celebrate that Mm. instead of just saying, Oh yeah, I did that. Like I'm, I'm done here. Or, um, that relationship didn't go so great. So like now I quit, I don't really want to try this again or something of that nature. Like, why don't we just consider ourselves a project like all the time? Like, instead of that being, I don't know, um, you know, look down upon in a way, like, shouldn't we think that's amazing? Yeah. My two cents. This is, uh, this is getting vulnerable and I'm putting you on the spot with this, but would you be willing to share something that you're projecting in yourself these days? Does anything come to mind? <laughs> I'm happy to share one for myself too, if that makes you feel more um, comfortable. Okay. Uh, I tell you what, you go first. Okay. That's fair. Um, mine would be balance. That's kind of been the theme in life recently is having a couple years of saying yes to everything and just trying to, you know, um, like like working on this podcast project in a way that's not necessarily sustainable because it's worth it, you know? It's like worth it to invest all this energy up front and see what becomes of this thing. And now I find myself in the last six months like at this kind of transition point where I need to kind of recalibrate and figure out what's actually sustainable and um, life-giving to me so that I can continue to put the same energy into it that I that I want to put into it if I'm going to do it, you know, like if I'm going to do it, I want it to, um, I don't want it to feel like something I have to do. I want to feel excited. And I think that's possible, but it's just, it's, it's actually been quite hard to figure out what that looks like and what I need to start letting go of areas in my life where I need to start saying no to some things to give myself more space and bandwidth. And then yeah, also just like living on the road and having freedom um, to climb has been absolutely amazing. But now I'm feeling, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a need for more balance with um, having roots, having a community and things like that. And I get a lot of that from the podcast, but, you know, it's, um, but it's not the same. It's not the same as like seeing the same group of friends every week. Right. So yeah, that's been the biggest theme for me that I'm, that I've been working on. And as far as like myself as a project, I just have such a strong tendency to fill my schedule with as many things as possible all the time. Like I, I, I almost treat it like an obligation. Like if I can possibly do it, then I should, and I'll just say yes to it. And then I'll figure it out later, you know, but I find myself kind of continually full um, to the point of overloaded or, you know, flirting with overloaded. And it's, I, I can kind of see where it's heading. Like it's working so far. I'm getting away. I feel like I'm getting away with it, but it's not something that I can continue to do and, and thrive in if I'm not honoring my need for rest and my need for periods where I say no to things and, and things like that. So, and it just, it just brings up a lot of like, it just brings up a lot for me. Like a lot of, um, there's just something there. There's like guilt that I feel when I take rest and I'm not doing as much as I possibly could because I've lived a very like privileged, fortunate life and haven't struggled for a lot of things. I've worked hard, but I haven't struggled. So I feel like this obligation to 
exhaust myself trying to like pay a lot of that forward to people, you know, but, but if I burn myself out in the meantime, then that's really bad, you know, like that doesn't help anybody. So yeah, that's my project right now. I'm not, it's, it's absolutely not resolved. It's still very much an ongoing project. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. And I think that is honestly very impressive that you are able to kind of articulate all of that and just make sense of it instead of just pushing it down and being like, I feel something, but I don't know what it is. Well, I tried doing that and then I had a panic attack. (laughs) So (laughs) I I realized that that wasn't going to be the winning strategy here. I needed to start paying attention to it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I just like, I'm, I'm very in, I'm very impressed um, because I don't know that there are um, a lot of men who are maybe willing to put in the work to be able to kind of let all of that mesh itself out and whatnot. And I don't think it's their own fault. I think it's a lot of um, kind of societal stuff, but that's another We're we're conditioned to push it down and bury it and feel like we should just be men and we should just deal and Mm -hmm. be strong enough to Mm -hmm. just carry on. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I guess for mine, um, the project that I am working on right now is how to balance this job that number one, I have created for myself. Um, and that I am so passionate about, I mean, I love my job, but balance that with being a good partner for my husband. And then also being a present parent for all three of my kids. Um, so I know a friend of mine one time gave me the analogy of uh, juggling balls and that sometimes you have rubber balls, sometimes you have glass balls. Mm. And when you're juggling, sometimes you can let the rubber balls bounce and they'll kind of bounce on their own, but they're okay and you can pick them back up again. But when you drop a glass ball, obviously much more detrimental. So I feel like um, my husband has been the rubber ball for like the last two years because I have definitely, you know, the infants, children, glass balls, definitely glass balls. I can't just kind of wing it and hope for the best with them. (laughs) Right. Um, And then I added in starting my own business and more continuing education than probably is even healthy or appropriate and have really kind of not put the same amount of work into our relationship as like, maybe I should have, like, if we're just being like very real. Um, I think that my husband understands that I'm doing this because I am so passionate. I'm also doing it because I want to help support our family. Um, and that I'm trying to make a real difference in this, um, in this little part of the world that, um, is very important to me. Um, but I know that he, he misses me. Um, Mm. and like, I miss him too. Um, and it is, it is really hard. I know you asked me in the beginning about like something to the regards of like, 
doing it all and like something is something is going to give you know and so right now like i'm trying to work on just getting back to being a little more present in my relationship with my husband um because i want to um and knowing that like i have a long time to be able to grow this business Mm. there is no rush and if I can't help every single person that reaches out to me, then, you know, it is what it is. I'm only one person. Um, and just giving a little more attention to like the things that are closer at home, I think would be my project right now. Mm-hmm. Well, that is so real um, and, and, and beautiful and just, yeah, just so honest and real. And um, thank you. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Well, Joy, I have this, this uh, conversation has been a joy. Thank you, Joy. I've really, <laughs> <laughs> how, how lame was that? I, uh, <laughs> I didn't write that down. I didn't plan to make that pun. It's fine. Um, it's fine. I just really appreciate you. Thank you so much for, for this conversation. I, I hope that it's been tremendously helpful for many people listening. I'm sure it has. Um, it's just, it's just endlessly interesting and and to me just how often like we're all talking about the same things you know like you might be working with pregnant women but there's still so many takeaways for me that I can relate to my own life and my own challenges and things like that like it's the human experience I mean there's just so many things that rhyme you know challenges and obstacles and uh, stories that we make up in our heads or things that we feel insecure about or whatever. Like, it's just so much of the same stuff. And like you said, we need to hear that we're not alone in this so much more than once, you know? Um, and I, I think conversations like this are just um, a, tre- a tremendous reminder, just a, just a real gift to people listening that they're not alone, that, you know, you're educated, you're a badass, you're a mother of three, and you still have a lot of the same nervousness and same questions and and things like that as someone who's, you know, just found out that they're pregnant for the first time and they're terrified. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, fuck, I'm pregnant. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for for this conversation. It's been a real gift. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for the space. I had, I had a lot of fun. Me too. Where can people connect with you, uh, reach out to you, work with you? Yeah. How can people yeah. find so, you? So um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Callie Joy Black, C-A-L-L-I-E, Joy and Black, like the color. Um, and yeah, there's all the different links to find out about ways to work with me, et cetera, et cetera. So just go there and we'll start a conversation. I love it. I'll link to all the things in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. And it's Callie Joy Black, but you go by Joy. Joy is your middle name. Is that right? Yeah. My parents, you know, did that thing where they named me one thing and then called me another. (laughs) Got it. But it's fine. Yeah. Got it. I like Joy. Me too. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) It suits you. All right. Well, thank thank you again. Thanks to everyone for listening. You can find links to all the things in the show notes and uh, appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time. Hey. 
Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joy as much as I did. If you want to follow her and learn more or connect with her, be sure to find her on Instagram. I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode at thenuggetclimbing.com. Before you go, be sure to check out Rhino Skin Solutions. These are earth-grown products made to help support your precious skin so you can sweat less, go longer, and climb harder on the rock. My favorite product by far is the repair cream, but I also use the performance cream and the dry spray quite a lot this time of year during the summer when it's hot. So if you want to check it out, head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com and use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. And be sure to check out Grasshopper Climbing. The Grasshopper board truly is my favorite of all of the boards and the one that I plan to purchase for my own house someday once I'm ready to take a break from van life. It's my dream to have one of these things in my own garage someday. It's awesome. So if you've been thinking about buying a board, head over to grasshopperclimbing.com to check this thing out and be sure to tell them I sent you to save $500 or more off your very own grasshopper board. And that is it, my friends. Thank you for listening to the very end. As always, I appreciate you guys so, so much. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you love the podcast or a quick rating on Spotify. All that stuff helps. You guys are the best. Hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time. Like we do it, 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 like we do it